Welcome to the Soybean Pod, brought to you by South Dakota Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. I'm Tom Stever, discussing the incredible soybean, the people who grow it, and why that crop is so important. Soybean Grower's number one customer is the livestock producer. Strong demand for protein-rich soybean meal is because of animal agriculture domestically and abroad. Our guest today is firmly on both sides of that market. Brent Greenway's passion for soybeans is rivaled only by his passion for cattle and hogs. He also uses every opportunity possible to tell the story of him and other farmers. Brent and his wife Molly are immersed in Brent's family legacy, having moved into the farmhouse his great-grandparents built. We farm just west of Mitchell here, very diversified operation. We have cow-calf, we're selling the calves off as feeder calves, and then we also have a wean-to-finish confinement barns that we sell our pigs out of, sell those to a plant that we're involved with, uh, as well as a couple other different plants. So kind of a full circle, we're, we're growing the corn and soybeans on our farm to feed to the pigs, also some alfalfa to feed our cows. So yeah, very diversified. We got a lot of different things that we're working on at any given time of the year. But I first got involved with the South Dakota Soybean Association in 2018 via the Corteva AgriScience uh, Young Leader Program. And that was a good program to get involved. They try to get you involved on your, your state level just to be involved in any different kind of a commodity group or whatever it is, if it's a local organization, if it's having having people come out to your farm, just showing what you do. After I went through that, then I was placed on the South Dakota Soybean Association board. That was kind of my gateway into getting on the South Dakota Soybean Association. Talking about your farm, wean to finish. It sounds like this is a fairly labor-intensive enterprise. Yes, it definitely can be. We used to have a fair to finish. We would actually have the sows and they would give birth to the piglets, and then we would finish them all the way out. Back in 2005 and six, we actually put up our first confinement barn. And once we kind of made that transition, we get our pigs from a Pipestone managed sow barn owned by our operation, but managed by Pipestone Systems. So we eliminated that part of it, but with that, increased our numbers some. So yeah, yeah, it's worked out very well. Still quite a bit of labor in there, and it's all year long. It's not quite as cyclical as what the cattle are, but yeah, turning a few groups of pigs every year and providing delicious, nutritious pork for people in our area and around the country. About the farm itself, how many generations are you into this farm? I'd be the fourth generation on our farm where we got our barns, and my parents are just one mile away from where my great-grandparents actually immigrated from England Lived at a different place for just a couple of years, but then moved to the house right there in the Mitchell, Mulburn area. And my grandparents lived there for a little while. And then my wife, Molly, and I just recently purchased that home quarter and the original farmhouse. And we're going to be moving in there here soon, moving from town out to the farm there. So looking forward to that. And so we're going to be the, the fourth generation that will have lived in that house. Kind of a big uh, renovation project, is it? Yes. Yeah, we were kind of joking before, and my wife's a fan of HGTV, so she's got plenty of ideas. I'm not sure how feasible all of them are, but it's going to be good. You know, my grandparents, it's not all original by any means, but updating a few things and bringing it into the 21st century a little bit. 
I want to talk about your demand for soybeans in particular, livestock operation as it is. You are a net importer of soybeans. Tell me about that. Yeah, yep. That's one thing I kind of like to say. A lot of the other members on the board, they're trying to get the absolute top dollar, and I am too, for our soybeans. But on our farm, actually, the amount of soybean meal that we use with our pigs that we finish every year, we actually use more soybeans than what we consume. So we're selling the whole raw soybean, and then we're buying back soybean meal from South Dakota soybean processors. So we are a a big user of soybean meal, as are any pig producer in the state and in the area. And that's one thing going forward. We're very excited about the news that there'll be a new processing plant just on the south edge of Mitchell here in Davison County. So we're very excited that it's going to be a plant that's closer to us than the the current one that we get. And I know there's a lot of dairy producers that are coming to the area and, and pork producers as well, friends of ours that are excited to have a plant right here in our backyard just to decrease some of the costs, kind of a more sustainable package, having it just right here close in the area. So we're excited for that, selling soybeans and then buying the meal back. And just so we're clear, is this plant primarily in the business of of producing soybean oil or meal, or is it both of them equally? Yes, both of them. I know that's one thing that they've seen is the oil demand has increased a lot in the soybean industry with some of the renewable diesel, biodiesel, the clean aviation fuels, with some of those mandates that are coming out and just push for a more sustainable product. The soybean oil has a great picture when it comes to the full carbon intensity of that product and the great picture that it is that saying, hey, we're we're growing this crop, we're sequestering carbon from the atmosphere, producing the oil. It's a very, very good picture. This plant's going to be producing the meal, you know, is obviously very important in our area. That's kind of why they wanted to come is there is a pretty good demand for the meal, but as well as that oil, trying to get that to other end users and refineries as well. You've described your farm in terms of adding value to soybeans as a full cycle farm operation. A little bit more about that. How so? Yeah, yep. We're getting the baby pigs in when they're 12, 15 pounds, something like that, growing them all the way up. So in that life cycle, they're eating a lot of corn, a lot of soybean meal. We're also using distiller's grain from a local ethanol plant that we have in the area. So we're using all those products grown, processed right here in South Dakota. So using those products to feed the pig, you know, once we sell the pig, you know, either being sold here in Sioux Falls or Worthington or or Fremont, Nebraska, going to a plant here in the area. But the end of that cycle is that we're also using the waste or the manure from the pigs. We're injecting that back in on the soil that we're going to be growing next year's corn on. So you're using that to fertilize the crop, so you're not using any petroleum-based fertilizers on that. So it's a great full cycle. So you're, you're using the manure, growing the crops, feeding the pigs after they're sold and they're on the food shelves. You're repeating that entire cycle. Everything is value-added. It's close right here in the area. I mean, the plants aren't very far away. You got the processing plants for the soybean meal and the ethanol plants getting the stiller. So it's a great full circle. Everything is very close in this area here. So it reduces transportation costs. It's a good picture to support the economy here locally. So why is pork production, Brent, why is that in particular so important to South Dakota soybean growers? In addition to being on the South Dakota Soybean Association, I'm on the, also on the South Dakota Pork Producers Council. It's a great fit. There's some organizations where it'd be a little hard to wear both hats, but it's a very symbiotic relationship between the two. Soybean producers are raising the product that pig farmers need, very protein-dense product that we're, we're feeding our livestock, as well as most people that are raising pigs are also raising corn and soybeans. And so you're on both sides of it, just like you're 
A lot of the times you're, you're working together corn and soybean to try to better your product, increase value for it. Well, a lot of the times both of those missions are met by increased livestock production because you're using it right here in the state. We have a great export market going through the Pacific Northwest, going into East Asia. But if you could, you would rather feed that product right here in the state. Your transportation costs and your time and all that stuff is reduced if you can keep that right here in the state as much as possible. So that's why it's a great relationship is just you're relying on both of each other. Soybean tries to help promote livestock in the state. Livestock needs a soybean. And it's a great camaraderie between the two groups to try to advance agriculture in the state. And there's a lot of small towns where if the egg economy is strong, the towns are doing great. Whatever you can do to return the most amount of dollars to the farmers and create those products that end users need, that's a really good story that we have. Brent, I've heard it said that collectively, livestock producers are soybean growers' biggest customer. Put that into perspective for us. How big a customer are you along with other livestock producers? I don't have exact numbers on that, but especially if you're thinking the demand right here in the state, but then you're talking some of the export markets, shipping it by rail out there, Pacific Northwest, even when it's being exported, it's still being fed primarily to livestock over in other countries. So livestock in and of itself, I mean, is a huge demand for the protein-dense soybean meal. It's a very good relationship between the two, and it's a great product. We would obviously like to utilize more soybean meal, you know, as much as we could in our pigs because they love that protein and helps increase gain and all those other great things. Yeah, using as much soybean meal as possible in a fiscally smart way is a great goal for us as livestock producers. What are your biggest challenges as a livestock producer, especially one involved in raising hogs in the shadow of the world's only corn palace? You try to maintain good neighbors, and I think you said yourself, an illustration of that is that you inject hog manure out there. How do you maintain that good relationship? Yep, absolutely. And that's kind of a topic that you're not afraid to talk about, but you, you're you a little bit careful when you talk about that. And you talk about the shadow of the Corn Palace, and my uncle is actually the executive director, so I'm not going to, I'm going to say uh, stop by the Corn Palace if you happen to be in the area. That's one thing. We, we have a number of different groups out. We just recently had a, a group from the Chamber of Commerce come out here a little while ago. And we want to show our story. We want to tell. That's one of the the downfalls of bringing the production indoors a little bit into modern agriculture facilities where they're housed in a building and you might not be able to see them quite as easy as you used to. It's not because we're afraid to show what we're doing. It is for the environment of the animal, trying to keep them as cool as possible, keep them out of the sun, keep them out of the elements, those cold winter days and it's 60, 70, 80 degrees in the barn whenever it needs to be. So that's one thing why we bring people out is just to show what we do and then why we're doing it and it's for the health of the animals. But getting back to the manure application, that's one thing that people complain about a little bit. You know, you get that smell. So that's why we try to do as as great of a job as we can. We apply our own manure. It's going on our ground as well as some other people that are in the area. Just doing it in a safe, responsible manner. It's so much more regulated than what it used to be. There used to be times where there was you didn't have to soil test the ground or do a number of different things, but it's not that way anymore. I can guarantee you, especially with fertilizer prices, you're not going to want to do it just for the money sense, but you're not putting it out there just at whatever you think is right. The state regulations are that you have to soil test the ground, figure out what the actual ground requirements are for the crop that you're going to be growing using a realistic yield goal. 
You also have to test the manure for concentration, how many parts per million of nitrogen it is. The state regulates that. You have to keep those documents on hand for a number of years, showing that, okay, the ground needed this much nitrogen. Our manure contained this many parts per million or this many pounds per thousand gallons. All of that is tracked very closely. And again, we're, we don't want to shortchange our crop, but we definitely don't want to be putting any extra out there than what it needs. For one thing, it's not good for the ground, as well as if there's too much out there, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a nuisance. It's going to have some extra smell, things like that. So we're trying to be as good of a steward as we can. This spring here, when we went to apply some, called the neighbors, just let them know. said, hey, we're going to be out here. We're going to do our best. You know, you hope for the winds that are, are blown away if there's any acreages or anything out there. Sometimes you can't help that, but just not doing it in the middle of the night when they're trying to sleep, if you happen to be close, making sure that it is, you know, we use a, a toolbar that's getting it down in the soil so that way everything is absorbed in, there's nothing sitting on top because that's when you're going to lose some of that nutrient value as well as you're going to have additional odor. So just doing whatever we can, what's right for the neighbors, what's right for the soil, what's right for the next year's crop. So it's heavily regulated and that's all right. We don't want to be doing it incorrectly, so they put the rules forward. We want to make sure that we're doing it the correct way. We want to have a good story and be good neighbors. Along those lines, and this may have something to do with self-preservation, but what keeps you up at night? What worries you the most? That's a good question. I'm getting more involved in the farm. My parents are the ones that put up the barn as I'm transitioning in. You know, as we're looking at expanding here in the future, I'll, my wife and I will probably be the ones putting up our next barn and inflation right now. You look at where cost of a barn or any building for that matter, whether it be a house or a shed or anything, has gone up a lot here in the last couple of years. More than that, you worry about what people are seeing and reading and whether or not they think you're doing a good job. At Dakota Fest this year and, and every year, we've served pork loin sandwiches and it's a great compliment to have people say, oh, I, I look so much forward to, to coming back to the booth and, you know, every year and you have a delicious product. But if they happen to have any questions, we'll step off to the side and if they're asking, hey, I, I seen this or why do you do that? We'll gladly answer those questions. And that's what I, I would just say is if you see or hear something bad about anything in, in livestock or agriculture, just go ask somebody. I mean, it's I can't remember the saying for sure, but they say a, a lie can travel the, around the world before the truth has time to put its pants on. And if you happen to read something, you see something on Facebook, and I, I get it, good, happy stories don't always make the best news. I would just say if you have a question or if something goes, whoa, that seems crazy, is that really right? Reach out to a farmer, call your South Dakota soybean office or South Dakota pork office, say, hey, is there a producer I, I seen something on the news? Or, you know, you either talk to somebody in the office or they'll say, hey, here's a producer, come out and talk to them or talk to them on the phone. There's a lot of farmers that are willing to talk to you and just talk about what we do. We're willing to tell our story. We welcome any questions that you might have because ultimately we're selling a product to an end consumer. So we, we have to do a great job of instilling trust in our product. So that's one thing is just with today's media is that if all of a sudden there's one one bad actor, a bad apple out there that's doing things 100% against our we care principles that we have in the pork industry, one bad person can ruin the reputation for 10,000 farmers. So if you happen to have any questions, just get the source from a farmer that's doing it every day and it'll put your mind at ease on what they have to say, how, how they're raising their product. I'm sure one of the challenges that you face are pocketbook issues. How do you deal with inflation? How do you deal with high input costs? Yeah, you know, inflation right now, that's a big concern of ours. The sow barn that we're a part of is going through an expansion right now. And the price on stuff, I can't remember what it was, but it went up 20, 30% here just in the last 
year or so. So, yep, that's a big thing. Soybean meal, there's odds are if soybean meal is high, soybean prices are going to be high as well. So that's kind of what we're doing to hedge some of our bets a little bit is, you know, growing our own product to feed our pigs, you know, helps with some of those input costs. But then you go back to fertilizer costs, whatever it may be, sprayer, equipment, all that stuff ties into your break-even costs on your soybeans and corn that you're growing. But that's where it helps our operations to be kind of be fully integrated all sides of the feed just to help with some of those challenges so you're not buying all of your product. What about your general outlook, Brent? From the point of view of a producer of crops and livestock, what are the difficulties you face in maintaining an enterprise that you can pass on to the next generation? You know, as we're looking here at taking over my grandparents' farm, and so my grandpa had passed away last year, talked with him when we, towards the end of life there, and just his outlook and how things had changed in his life. And once you realize that time is coming up, you're just trying to get as much information as he can and just kind of get that story and what it meant. And hearing him going through the 80s and my parents came back and started farming in in 83, so not a great time in agriculture at all. And just some of the hard times that they went through, my grandparents, and just he didn't have any, any of the shiniest pickups or anything driving down the roads, but you know, raising a family and instilling a great work ethic and, and working hard and, and being proud, holding your head up, all those different things is kind of what he taught us or whatever. But going forward, I mean, it's tough, you know, equipment costs. I remember talking with him and he was saying that the one year he had, I can't remember if it was a, if it was a planter or a combine that he bought, bought it, planted his crop, went around and did custom planting for somebody and paid for it within a year and a half. It's tough. The margins are so tight. When they talk about the number of pigs that we sell a year, you think, oh, man, that's you're a big producer. Well, you're not making as much on each animal as what you used to be, so you got to expand a little bit, and that's the reason with the confinement barns is you can produce more. They're, they're much more efficient, more sustainable, using less inputs, less corn and soybeans and less water, electricity, all those different things. That's kind of why we're doing that is the margins are so tight that sometimes it takes extra livestock or more acres. A lot of the times it's not pushed by greed or anything like that. It's the fact that in order to raise a family, in order for me to quit my job in town here and then start on the farm full time, I mean, you have to be a a decent-sized operation in order to bring that next generation back and to thrive and still have a little bit of a, a home life off the farm as well. Well, that home life reminds me of what I'd like to ask next. What are your hobbies? What do you like to do off the farm? I like to do a little camping. I used to work at ACO over in Jackson, Minnesota, and we were about 25 miles away from Okaboji. So I got into boating pretty big when I was over there. We like to go boating on the Missouri River down by Pickstown, kind of a campsite there, my parents do. So we like to go down there quite a bit. Tinkering on the shop is, in the shop is always fun. Seems like a lot of the times you're, you're working on something because you broke it and you have to work on it, but it is fun to get some of those projects that you're, something that's just kind of been nagging you a little bit and there's, there's a better way of doing it. Another thing I like to do, recently bought a like a CNC plasma table. So cutting out different parts and things like that. And with some of my jobs that I've had, been exposed to some of that equipment and worked on work projects as well as a few for at home, a couple different signs or different parts or things like that. So trying to do some more of that once we get out to the farm and have a little bit more room you know, in the shop and you can move parts and stuff around better. I like to do some of that stuff as well. What have I left out that you'd like to add to this, Brent? Kind of one of the biggest thing is, especially on the livestock side, is just if anybody happens to have any questions, is to don't be afraid to reach out. We've welcomed a lot of different groups out at our farm. But, yeah, if, if you happen to have any questions, you know, just reach out to either soybean office or pork or corn or whoever it may be. Odds are they can put you in touch with somebody. 
it's a great time to be in agriculture. Look at some of the carbon markets and things like that and the push with climate change and, and all the things that scare a lot of producers saying, oh, they're coming after us or we got to be completely changing. Well, I think they're starting to realize now how good and sustainable of a job we are already doing. We can definitely get better. There's always room for improvement. But I think it's a good time to be in agriculture just with some of those pushes, realizing that as farmers work in the land, you know, being on the farm, we are one of the few operations or one of the few industries in the world where we can actually be carbon negative and not just by, you know, buying carbon credits. We can actually sequester carbon from the air, put it into our ground. So utilizing more cover crops, livestock, utilizing livestock is one of the five pillars of soil health. It's a good time to be in agriculture on that front because I think there is a a bigger push. And once people realize, hey, yeah, we generate some CO2, but what we actually take in is a lot more than what we generate. So I think we can be a key to some of the issues that seem scary right now, but you know, I believe going forward, I think we're going to be seen as a great ally and somebody that can help, and we're definitely not just hurting by any means. Brent Greenway sets the record straight. Brent farms with his family near Mitchell, South Dakota. The Soybean Pod is brought to you by South Dakota Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and at sdsoybean.org. Hear the South Dakota Soybean Network on the air weekly on several South Dakota radio stations. Thank you for listening to The Soybean Pod. I'm Tom Stever.